whispers in the house? Are you a poet and don't know it? Do you rhyme all the time? Can you rap at a snap? <laughs> my mother has a book of poetry that she's written. My dad writes poems. My brother writes songs. I do too, but I don't play them for very many people. I also write, write poems to my wife on every special occasion. And uh, sometimes I write poems for sermons when I get inspired. Uh, years ago, I wrote a sermon on um, the trouble with trouble. And in that sermon, I read this poem that I wrote. Hello, if trouble could talk, what would he say? This is trouble's lament. Hello, my name is trouble. I've got troubles of my own. These believers are making me grumble. Their endurance is making me groan. These disciples of the Holy Bible believe that all things work out for their good. My threats of death they call great gain. Things ain't working out like they should. I knock them down, but they don't stay down. They're learning to persevere. My success has become elusive. My defeat's becoming severe. Through prayer, they're even stronger. By faith, they're able to stand. Through pain, they're persistent longer. Sometimes I wonder who I am. This backfiring's getting way too old. I'm tired and feeling used. These Christians are getting way too bold, benefiting from my abuse. This thing they call salvation has ruined it all for me. It's made all my destruction become most temporary. The worst part of all this devastation is I caused it at Calvary. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8 says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Why is the pastor reading poetry this morning? It's because he wanted to open today by talking a little bit about poetry in the Bible. Unlike contemporary poetry, which often has rhythm and rhyme, most songs are poetic, biblical poetry usually conveys a message with rhythm but no rhyme, which would be the case anyway due to language translation, but in the original languages it doesn't necessarily rhyme either. By using repetition, what we could call the repetition style, Biblical poetry drives a message home beautifully like Psalm 136. We won't read the whole thing, but it reads, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. And the psalm goes on and on following that pattern. Another style of biblical poetry could be called the progression style in that it doesn't uh, use word-for-word -word repetition, but it does restate what has been said by the previous phrase by using other words, each time clarifying and revealing more and more what is being communicated. Here's an example of progression style biblical poetry. You hear this every Sunday. The Lord bless you and keep you. See, there's two things there. What does it mean for the Lord to bless us and keep us? The next line clarifies it. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Oh, that's nice. That's what that means. And then he clarifies it further. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Like, may the Lord smile at you and give you peace. May God smile when he sees you and may you have peace. The old cowboy said, may the good Lord take a liking to you. 
The text we're going to look at today is um, the Beatitudes, where Christ uses repetition style and progression style in delivering this uh, poem, I would call it. Matthew 5, verse 1, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and here's the poem for the next eight verses, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first four verses deal with the foundation of a relationship with God. Humility is where it all begins. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The next four blessings um, deal with our relationship with people, being merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, and being persecuted. And then the ninth blessing elaborates on the eighth blessing. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he uses uh, progressive and repetitious poetry to get his point across. And today we're just going to look at the first half of the Beatitudes, the blessings that deal with our relationship with the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the poetry of Scripture. And Lord, we pray that today would be more than a class in literary appreciation in, in the Bible, but Lord, it would be a a uh, perspective of your word that helps us to remember what we hear. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord, that you change our lives and that we are moving forward. Amen. Can we all together say the poetry of spiritual progress? First blessing is blessed are the poor in spirit, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can we say that together? All right. This is spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Now, being spiritually poor doesn't assure you of going to heaven, but realizing it is is where the Lord is getting at. This word blessed is the Greek word makarios, which means supremely blessed. It means fortunate. It means happy. And he begins every blessing with this same word, makarios. It could be read, could read, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. 
Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For they shall be filled. For they shall inherit the earth. For they shall be comforted. This, is, this kind of happiness is not the self-centered happiness that the unbelieving world pursues, causing many to bail out on their spouse saying, God wants me to be happy. This kind of happiness is God-centered and not self-centered and comes from his blessing in our lives that we receive as he enables us to humble ourselves to receive his blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This word poor is a word tokas, which isn't the working poor. There's another word in the Bible used for the poor who's working. This, this is a beggar, a cringing beggar, a pauper, a, a crouching, begging person, denoting absolute dependency. In receiving the kingdom of God, we must become as little children, Jesus said. In other words, we must humble ourselves. Children are humble creatures. You know that? They'll forgive on command. You tell them to forgive, they'll do it. Adults won't do it. Too much pride. So to enter in the kingdom, we've got to humble ourselves. Become as little children. Become, as it were, beggars. Recognizing the fact that in reality we don't have an ounce of what it takes to get a ticket to heaven. Jesus paid it all. We're in need of him. And heaven's not going to be benefited by my presence. I am benefited. This in itself should generate in us an appreciation for the grace of God. If you think you're in addition to what God has going on on the earth, you don't realize how expensive grace is to uh, make you in addition to what he has going on on the earth. We don't deserve anything. But he, by his grace, chose us. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for the ungodly. So this is where we all begin in our walk with the Lord. Before we call on his name, we realize we need help. And in that position, there's no room to say, well, God, you ought to be lucky to have me. I remember back when Zane was single, we took him to Houston to our niece's wedding. And there he met a girl who was really beautiful, just gorgeous, that um, was born around the time he was. They were around the same age. And she wrote him a letter and sent him a picture. And he was kind of interested. Then she wrote him another letter letting him know how lucky he was that she would be interested in him. It was all over. You know, who wants, who wants a high-maintenance wife, you know? We're the lucky ones! <laughs> And in that humility, we are promised the kingdom of heaven. The whole kingdom. Not just citizenship. We're promised the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's what Jesus said. But to enter it, we must humble ourselves. It's not easy. But if you realize the truth, 
that we, all of our righteousness, everything good about us is as filthy rags. I could elaborate on that. Study it out, what the filthy rags are. Amen. Good deal. Thanks, Josh, for helping your pastor. Number four, verse four, second blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, this would be dumb if the Lord was saying, blessed are you when you're sad because you're going to feel better. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Eventually, you know, the season of mourning is not so intense, and we do feel better. The word mourn here signifies grief manifested too deep to conceal. When we realize just how poor and needy we are, and it sinks in, There's a reaction. The prideful countenance has no room. This kind of mourning comes from an honest realization that we are in bad shape and really need God. Realizing our dire condition, if we did not know, was ours before. This is Jesus' call on us to humble ourselves to the point of being in deep contrition, stricken with grief over our spiritual poverty and need for God, His will, and His kingdom. I believe this is a kind of mourning that comes from recognizing the poverty of our sinful state and our utter wickedness and weakness and the impossibility to save ourselves. Thus we cry out to God for salvation. Romans 2.4 says it is God's goodness that leads us to repentance. But 2 Corinthians 7.10 reads that godly sorrow works repentance leading to salvation, which to me illustrates the need for humility to receive God's blessing. Listen to what James 4 says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oh, that's nice. Yes. But remember biblical poetry. He elaborates on what that means. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know, God has this problem. Actually, we have the problem. He is God, we're not. He is holy, we're not. But He is also love. And in His love, He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins so that those who realize they need a Savior can receive the benefits of that. Thank God for saving unworthy souls such as ours. Oh, but I'm worthy by the blood of Jesus. Jesus made that for you. He made us worthy. He, besto- he imputed worthiness on us. Amen. Third blessing. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we see the kingdom of God is promised, comfort is promised, inheriting the earth is promised. The word meek means humble, gentile, gentle, mild. It is not pushy or aggressive. Jesus was meek. He said, come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
Meekness is not weakness, but it is a quiet strength that helps one to overcome the need to exert ourselves and let everyone know how wonderful we are. Meekness accepts opposition, insult, and provocation. Under this sense of his own sinfulness, the meek bears patiently the contradiction of sinners against himself, forgiving and restoring the erring ones in a spirit of meekness. This is Jesus. Galatians 6, 1 tells us to do the same, considering ourselves, lest we also be tempted. You ever been in a room and no one knew how wonderful you, are, you were and you really wanted them to know and you didn't and you were miserable? That's the absence of meekness. Have you ever been at a party where you made a fool out of yourself, exerting yourself, trying to show them how wonderful you were? That's the absence of meekness. Meekness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the character of Christ, and it's a testimony of a, of a disciple who's moving forward. The meek are promised an inheritance they don't have to fight for. They'll inherit the earth. To be meek, we need to know who we are without God's mercy and who we are because of God's mercy. Without God, I'm not wonderful. But with him, he's making me something like himself. So if there's any good in me, he gets all the glory. So if no one knows who I am in a room, if I'm invisible, it's okay. They need to know Jesus. In myself, I have nothing to be proud of, and we have everything to be thankful for. Meekness is a result of being comforted by God because we will know that everything really is going to be all right and the things that normally alarm and threaten us cannot anymore. Is there a shortage of meekness in your life? The lack of it is more than reason enough to mourn our desperate situation and cry out to God for help and deliverance from every ounce of arrogance and lack of meekness that makes us easily hurt. Is anybody seen spiritual poverty yet? If there was a gauge of spiritual growth, it could measure meekness and tell us a lot. The need for meekness in my life is the need for growth. Preaching myself today. Need for growth. Blessed, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Kind of like the unknown relative at the reading of the will that gets everything. Who was that? They've been around all the time, but the in crowd just kind of didn't know that they were. It's not the noisy, it's the faithful that gets the reward. Amen. Meekness. Blessed are those, fourth blessing, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. The word hunger is a word paneo, which means to famish, to crave, to pine when coupled with thirst. This speaks of a strong desire for righteousness. If you're mourning your need for meekness and see your spiritual poverty, there comes a hunger and thirst. Are you miserable? Are you wanting change? Are you wanting to move forward? in your walk with Christ? Are you tired of getting mad about the same old thing? You ready to, to uh, grow up rather than blow up? 
That's, let that become hunger and thirst for righteousness. If those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, they're promised they'll be filled. It's promised. Promised. We earnestly need more of God and not a religious experience or an appetizer or an affiliation. We need God, whatever that looks like. pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see where we really are spiritually so that we can move forward. Lord, we realize recognizing where we are is the first step in moving forward another step. And Lord, help us to not ignore that, but to allow the reality of that to hit us to the point of mourning if we need to. Thanking you, Lord, for the promise of the kingdom and the promise of comfort. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're promised to be filled. The word filled is cortazo, which means to gorge. (laughs) The Lord wants to fill our spiritual hunger. To supply food in abundance. It means to feed, to fill, to satisfy, to fodder. Fodder is what you feed sheep. This is a promise. It's a wonderful promise. Of being filled to overflowing with all that God has for us. But it starts by making room in your life for Him. And I just want to encourage everyone to consider your heart. Are you moving forward? Is there a desire to move forward? We're about to watch a a short video of a poet named Amina Brown. I saw her back in 03 on a field at an event called One Day outside of Sherman, Texas. And this is the cry from her heart to be filled with all that God has for her. It's entitled You. You find me when I'm hiding behind all my disguises you see me it takes you to keep me breathing you are heart passion vision you send me and bring me close close so close until when you look at me you see you you are heavenly my present and future destiny you are father creator sustainer life changer pride breaker you are the same yesterday now and forever you are pleasure worth reason present in every season you are worship devotion you are the reason for all my commotion you are the one that i pray to you can tell that i'm nothing without you so awesome that i can even pray to you about you to know you to sense you to believe you more, to love you more, to obey you more, to give you more of my heart. God, search me, know me, see me, examine me, test me, watch me, 
investigate me, question me, be pleased with me, be my reality, sustain me, decrease me, decrease me, decrease me. And so there's no me left, only you, only you, only you are light, are true, are you, our hope, our joy, our strength, our escape, rescue, safe. You are peace, you are belief, you are advance and retreat of what, to what, to whom can I compare you? You are my all things new. You are my place of refuge, my fortress, my rest, my creativity and the strength of your words to me. You are my ability to see, hear, feel, move, live, breathe, be. You are life and death all at the same time. You are friend, believer, savior, redeemer. You are the truth. You transcend old age and youth. You are timeless, priceless, lightness in darkness, greatness, goodness, sinless. And in a mess like my life, you see righteousness. You leave me speechless. In my own walk with Christ, there have been times where things were not working out the way I wanted them to. After days, weeks, or months of frustration, I finally come to a place of brokenness before Him and surrender my will once again wholeheartedly to His will. While mourning my failures with godly sorrow for not following Him closely, it is in that place of brutal honesty that the peace and comfort of Almighty God floods my soul to overflowing, and meekness hits me like a flood. The circumstances might remain the same, but I walk and comfort it, walk and am comforted in the shadow of my problems. Are you struggling today? Get hungry for God's help and His mercy and his will more than your will. When his will reigns supreme and mine submits to his, there is a peace that passes all understanding. It may sound like I'm talking Greek today, but I'm telling you there's a reality of the kingdom of God for you and I to taste. It's waiting on the humble. Some have said they've had visions of heaven, of storehouses filled with gifts that no one ever received. Because no one asked. I dare say it wasn't the lack of asking, but the lack of humility and submission to the will of God that keeps us from receiving the grace, the peace, and all that he has for us. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I ask you to search our hearts. Show us, Lord where we are missing out on the blessings of these four Beatitudes. One that builds upon the other and clarifies the other. Back and forth, they both are saying the same thing, that we need God and we need to realize that we need you and that your will should reign supreme. And out of that comes incredible things that we're missing out on in Jesus' name.
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Lord, help us to see not just the beauty of this poetry, but may the truth of it impact us at a deeper level than ever before. In Jesus' name.